Welcome to Vet Talk with Dr. Silver, sponsored by RX Vitamins for Pets. For over 20 years, RX Vitamins for Pets has been providing leading edge, condition specific nutraceutical formulas for veterinary professionals around the world. You can learn more by visiting rxvitamins.com or you can give them a call at 1 800 792 2222. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Dr. Rob Silver. I'm very excited for the opportunity to talk directly to veterinary professionals and pet owners around the world. Today's show, we're going to be talking about veterinary cannabis with one of my good friends and colleagues, Dr. Gary Richter. Dr. Gary Richter is in practice in Oakland, California. He's um, been practicing there since 1998. And in addition to practicing conventional veterinary medicine, Dr. Richter is uh, certified in veterinary acupuncture as well as veterinary chiropractic. As the owner and medical director of Holistic Veterinary Care in Oakland, California, Dr. Richter understands the benefits of blending conventional and holistic treatment methods for the preventative and therapeutic care of his patients. Dr. Richter, in his practice, focuses on the integration of holistic and conventional veterinary medicine, regenerative medicine, as well as educating professionals and pet owners on the benefits of integrative care. The safe and effective use of medical cannabis in dogs and cats is central to both Dr. Richter's medical practice and his educational outreach. By integrating medical cannabis with other conventional and alternative therapies, Dr. Richter has been able to improve the quality and the quantity of life of pets living with medical conditions ranging from arthritis to inflammatory bowel disease to cancer. Dr. Richter has written numerous articles for web-based and print publications on a number of topics, including strategies to integrate the use of medical cannabis into conventional medical therapies for pets. Additionally, he regularly provides continuing education lectures to veterinarians on the use of cannabis in animals. His book, The Ultimate Pet Health Guide, Breakthrough Nutrition and Integrative Care for Dogs and Cats, was released in 2017. Boy, it didn't seem, seems like it was just yesterday. <laughs> and includes an entire chapter on the use of cannabis for pets. I have the book and it's great. And I urge, I encourage everyone to find, to get a copy of it for themselves. Dr. Richter was named the 2019 Holistic Practitioner of the Year by the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. Congratulations, Gary, for that. And he's also the past president of the American College of Veterinary Botanical Medicine and a founding member and co-president of the Veterinary Cannabis Society, two associations of which I am also a member. Let's welcome Gary today to our podcast, Hi, Gary. How you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So um, this podcast is designed to follow the webinar that I presented this past week on DVM 360 on veterinary cannabis and um, examining the evidence, looking at the studies um, into veterinary cannabis. And so this follow-up podcast topic um, should be about veterinary cannabis, although we certainly can be free ranging any direction we want to go. We're we're in control of the of the horizontal, and we're in control of the vertical here. But um, I just you know you're you're practicing in Oakland, California, and for those that don't know, 
Oakland really is the epicenter of the entire medical marijuana movement. And um, it was, and because of the efforts that were started in Oakland, California was the first state in the union to legalize medical cannabis in 1996. So Gary, you must have a lot of clients who come in quite knowledgeable about cannabis for themselves and possibly even self-medicating their animals on a variety of different versions of cannabis, whether it be, you know, the high CBD type of hemp products or the uh, THC types of products as well. I'm just curious, you know, what has your experience been? You've probably learned an awful lot just, you know, just from your clients coming in. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I mean, we really get the the full range of clients as it pertains to their level of knowledge, uh, ranging anywhere from people who basically have no, no real understanding of what cannabis is and what it can do um, up to people, as you say, that have had experience uh, with their own healthcare. Uh, and, and, you know, and even going beyond that, people that are people that are in the cannabis industry in one sense or another, whether they're growing or producing or, or are involved with a dispensary, you know, we see, you know, a, a reasonable amount of those people come in as well. So it's, it's, it's really sort of the full spectrum. What has your um, impression been? Have you, does it seem as though the, the use of veterinary cannabis in the hands of clients has been effective in addressing the conditions they were interested in addressing with the use of cannabis? That's a great question. And, and, and you know, the short answer to that question is yes. Uh, as with every medication, whether it's pharmaceutical or natural, um, it's going to work better in some individuals than others. And, you know, the big thing about cannabis, as you well know, is it's not, cannabis is not a one-dimensional thing. Um, you know, cannabis is a plant that produces such a broad spectrum of medicinally active compounds that really the, you know, the key to having success with cannabis as medicine is being able to kind of tailor those, those compounds and those formulas to the specific condition you're treating. True, true. Have, have you seen problems with the self-medication using cannabis in pets? I mean, we hear about the dangers of THC and, you know, and certainly many veterinarians, especially ER vets, get to see quite a few dogs who have, you know, had an excessive amount of THC driving sure. them to the ER. What, what, is, yeah. what, what have your um, observations been? You know, I, 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 I do have to admit that I have certainly seen a handful of patients that have come in that people have self-medicated with high THC cannabis and their dogs were high. Um, I absolutely have seen that a handful of times. That said, the vast, vast majority of those dogs that need a trip to the ER because of THC intoxication uh, are really because the dog ate something that they shouldn't have eaten. You know, the owner's edibles, something to that effect. Um, it seems like it's relatively uncommon that it was that it was a you know an over medication per se. Um, so you know there, I don't think that there's an enormous uh, an enormous issue there. And the good news is I think over the years that that you and I have been having these conversations with 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 clients, uh, people are becoming more and more informed about how animals respond to cannabis. So they themselves are using sort of an appropriate level of caution. That's good. We know that based on the regulatory environment, that THC is 
considered to be a Schedule One, which makes it very difficult for um, veterinarians, you know, to to be involved in the actual dispensing of that, or even even the recommendation. And kind of, I want to get into some of the 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 ins and outs of of this. How do you navigate that particular? issue because we certainly don't want to do anything that's you know in violation of the law at the same time we've got these clients coming in with animals that are in a great deal of need and a great deal of veterinary advice to know how to properly dose the product whether it contains THC or CBD to avoid adverse events um what's and and California you know in spite of its um, you know, it, it seems like it's, you know, the birthplace of medical marijuana still has on the books some relatively restrictive statutes for veterinarians. Um, how do you wind up navigating that so you feel comfortable with it at the same time, you know, servicing and, and providing, you know, support to your clients? Sure. You know, that's a, it's a, a really good question. And it, and it is, it is a tricky and difficult landscape to navigate, uh, you know, the problem, and this is, this is very much a, a variable thing from one state to the next um, as it pertains to, to medical marijuana. Um, you know, when medical marijuana or recreational marijuana laws were passed, they were all passed assuming that the consumers of these products were humans. Uh, and nobody really thought about the possibility of veterinary use or, or you know, people giving it to their pets and whatnot. And as such, veterinarians were not afforded the same protections that physicians were uh, when when these medical cannabis laws were enacted. Uh, so, you know, the the current state of affairs in California is after uh, you know after a three or a four year effort on the part of myself and a, and a number of other people in the state, we we did manage to get legislation passed that allows veterinarians to quote discuss the use of cannabis for our patients. So we are allowed to have that conversation in the exam room right now, although we are not allowed to quote recommend. Uh, So again, you know, just walking a very fine line. Um, You know, the other interesting thing about, about the laws, at least in California are, I am allowed to have that discussion about, about, you know, what would be considered medical marijuana Technically speaking, I am not allowed to have that discussion about hemp-based CBD products, and I am certainly not allowed to sell hemp-based CBD products out of my office. So strangely, the regulations for for what is these days considered over-the-counter CBD are actually more stringent than for medical marijuana products. So we've still got a long way to go, but, you know, to answer your question, um, you know, I have always said that at the end of the day, my first responsibility is to my patients and to my clients. Uh, and I am going to do what, what I feel is medically responsible. Uh, I have certainly not made that a secret to the veterinary medical board in this state, but I, you know, I, I, I do everything I can to stay on the right side of the line. And what you're experiencing in California in terms of the kind of schizophrenic nature of the law um, is not any bit dissimilar from what veterinarians in in every other state are experiencing. And um, one can only hope that given in the next year or couple of years, the, uh, the regulatory agencies, the legislatures will be able to 
rectify things to make things more consistent and, and certainly easier for veterinarians to serve the needs of our, um, of our um, patient population. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate the work that you've done in California. And uh, because medical marijuana laws and, and CBD, although CBD is federally legal, um, it's still being um, you know, regulated at the state level, you know, we find a, a different, you know, a different landscape in each state. And the only way that those landscapes can change is if veterinarians within each state can lobby with their legislature to do similar things to what you have started to do. Obviously, the job's not done in California, but you've gone a lot further in California than, than any other state in the union in terms of, you know, trying to make changes with the legislation. And I'm saying this because I know we have a, we should have a fairly wide listenership here from many states, and I, I just want to plant that seed um, for other veterinarians in, in states to start, you know, getting a little more active, you know, with their legislature to make changes that are beneficial to their patients. And, and I, you know what, I think that's a great point, and, and that's exactly why we founded the Veterinary Cannabis Society. Um, and, and, and that's one of, one of our missions is to promote advocacy uh, in various states across the country to make things easier for veterinarians and pet owners. So if there are uh, veterinarians or pet owners out there that are interested in, in making a difference, taking part, I would really encourage them to go to the VCS website, which is vcs.pet, and uh, and just reach out to us, and we'd, we'd certainly be happy to have a chat and talk to you about what you can do. That sounds great. I wanted to let you know you're listening to Vet Talk with Dr. Rob Silver, sponsored by RX Vitamins for Pets. I'm Dr. Rob Silver, and we are speaking today with Dr. Gary Richter. Um, Gary, last night in my webinar, which unfortunately was affected by a blackout at my home, I was I presented some slides about the only a PK study that we currently have in the cat. And the cat's right. a very underserved population in general, uh, in, mm-hmm. in part because as an animal, they're they're very difficult to treat. You know, difficult to to medicate at home, most of them, and. Um, difficult to draw blood from. So all the kinds of studies and tests that we do are challenging. In in this one study, they, they started with eight cats. They were only able to really get six viable um, cats that they could use in terms of sampling. And they found that the um, the CBD levels were just substantially lower than similar um, dosages that were being given to dogs. And I'm just curious, you know, what your experience has been in practice um, with our beloved feline population, both in terms of their response to CBD. Because in my own experience, I have seen uh, um, a number of cats that responded well to to, to pretty low dosages of CBD. But I'm curious what your experience has been in the Bay Area and and also what you might, um, if you have had any experiences with um, with cats that have been given um, THC-based products, and do they have that same static ataxia that we see in the dogs? You know, those those are some questions I was hoping you could help us with here. Sure. You know, we we have we have quite a number of cats in the practice that, for for a variety of reasons, are are using medical cannabis, um, arthritis, seizures, gastrointestinal issues, um, sometimes anxiety, these sorts of things, and and I think like you, my. My clinical impression has been it, it can be effective. Um, again, I mean, nothing works in every animal, but but I have found that it uh, that it certainly can be effective. 
you know, as it pertains to that study that came out, I think, you know, the probably the, the big, the big sort of nut in that study, if you will, is it was such a small sample group uh, that I think it's, I I don't know that we can definitively say, although, um, you know, we are talking about cannabis, uh, uh, you know, compounds that are largely uh, metabolized by the liver. And and clearly every veterinarian knows that cats livers are weird. Uh, They just, they, they don't function like, like most other animals livers do. So maybe that has something to do with it. Well, yeah, and in that one study, they did also have one cat that generated elevated ALTs, um, right? Which is which we have not really seen that in in any of the dog safe, safety studies. Sure, and and you know to to, to answer the rest of your question, um, I, I I certainly do have patients that are taking uh, cannabis with THC in them, feline patients, uh, and they seem like they do just fine. Uh, I do not believe that that cats are susceptible to static ataxia as a syndrome like a dog would be. They are certainly susceptible to an overdose of THC if you give them too much, but they're not going to, they're not going to show those same, those same pathognomonic clinical signs that a dog would. Not so much the ataxia as possibly the sedation as a side effect. Exactly. I think, you know, just the extreme excessive sedation is probably more what you'd be likely to see. What about the munchie factor? You know, are you, uh, you know, we're always, you know, especially with our, our more ill patients, we're always looking for something that can help to improve appetite, especially cats with their high incidence of chronic kidney disease. Do you think that THC or the CBD can, can contribute to appetite in, in dogs or in cats? You know, my impression has always been that I don't think that THC or CBD has a direct appetite stimulating effect on animals. Uh, But what I do see is sometimes we'll see these animals eat better, I think as a secondary effect of the fact that they're feeling better. So they don't have as much pain. They don't have as much gastrointestinal discomfort. Uh, You know, all the reasons why they might not want to eat uh, as that eases up, they're a little bit more willing to eat. But like from the standpoint of like a person getting the munchies, I don't think so. No, that, that's been my impression as well. I think they, they feel better. You know, yeah. uh, they're not going into the freezer and, and uh, ravaging the, <laughs> the containers of ice cream. Right. Like I might. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has, been very, this has been very good. This is good information. I think the Veterinary Cancer Society sounds like something that I know I'm a, a member of that, and I think that it's something that for veterinarians who are interested in um, in joining with like-minded veterinarians and possibly developing some kind of you know lobbying with the legislature, I think it sounds like a, it sounds like a great um, a great organization that you've been um, involved with. Thank you. Yeah, it's been very exciting to to see it kind of take off this year. So, what about dosing? Um, you know, in, in all these studies that, they have, that they've been publishing recently, um, they're all using a test dosage of two migs per kg BID for dogs. Right. Um, in my own experience, and this is for CBD, in my uh-huh. own experience, I, I found that a much lower dosage, a do- dosage really four times lower, maybe half a mig per kg BID, seems to be quite effective. Um, and I'm, I'm about to embark upon a study using um, the RX Vitamins broad spectrum hemp at that low dosage in dogs with arthritis to see, you know, to, to prove in an objective, unbiased way that in fact, that lower dosage can be as effective as a higher one. I'm, 
I'm worried that with the higher dose and the expense of these products, we're creating very expensive urine in these animals, you know? <laughs> and um, so I'm just curious again to have what your opinion might be on that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you that I think in many cases, doses significantly lower than the two meg per kg VID dose uh, can be effective. Uh, you know, what I, what I often will talk to clients about is, you know, I'll, I'll tell them that, you know, this is what the research shows. Uh, and, 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 you know, my recommendation uh, is generally start at a much lower dose mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, we'll see how effective that is. And then you can slowly, you know, incrementally increase the dose over time to effect. Uh, you know, I think uh, you, you brought up a really excellent point. In so much as, you know, if somebody has a 50 or a 60 pound dog, two megs per kg of CBD twice a day is going to get real expensive real fast. Um, you know, people are going to be spending, you know, 30, 40 bucks a day uh, in CBD. And, and, I, and I think that that's a real issue. And until the price of CBD on a per milligram basis comes down, uh, you know, we have to be looking at lower, lower dosages that are going to be just as effective. There's another factor that I, that I think also comes into play with this, which is that if you're dealing with a full spectrum that has, you know, um, THC, at, and just to define to the audience, a full spectrum is a, is a hemp extract that has hemp levels of THC and everything else in it, the terpenes and flavonoids and minor and major cannabinoids. Broad spectrum is the same thing with the THC having been substantially reduced to the point of, of nearly um, nearly undetectable. And so if you're starting at a high dosage of two mg per kg, and in some of these patients, they are, you know, being given even higher doses than that, and you have THC in it, I'm concerned about that much THC also having a potential adverse effect on the patient if you start high and work your way low versus starting low and gradually working your way up in terms of titrating that dosage to effect. Um, that's one reason why I felt the broad spectrum um, has some advantages um, over the full spectrum, just because we don't run the risk of a potential idiosyncratic reaction to um, more THC than might normally be given based on the size of the animal and the um, the amount of dosage they're getting. Sure. And, and you know what, I mean, I think there is an awful lot to be said uh, for the entourage effect, for the sort of synergistic effect of of all of the various compounds that naturally occur in cannabis. I think it's generally accepted um, amongst the medical community and is even supported in the research that broad spectrum or full spectrum products tend to work better than say a CBD isolate or a THC isolate. Um, You know, as far as the concerns about THC toxicity goes, of course, that's, that's always that's always a concern. And, 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 you know, my suggestion to people is, you know, whenever you're giving a product that has any significant amount of THC in it, you know, you always want to make sure that you know how much THC you're giving on a milligram per kilogram basis. So you don't, you don't get into trouble, but at the end of the day, whether it's a toxicity concern or it's an efficacy concern, I think the smart thing to do is always, as they say, start low and go slow. Um, because, because if for no other reason, why give more medicine than you need to, uh, you know, if you're, if you're getting a good effect, it's always a, you know, lowest effective dose is, is kind of your best bet. Absolutely. So when you're talking with clients, you know, about 
products, you know, about CBD uh-huh. products. Um, obviously, you can't recommend specific, you know, THC products. What guidance do you give them as far as what things you would suggest they look for? Because there's so many products in the marketplace, so many sure. different products at dispensaries, online. You know, um, how does a consumer, how does a pet owner decide what the best, safest, most effective, cost-effective formula might be? Do you have guidance that you offer them? And can you share that with us? I do, yeah. And, and you know, to me, and then, you know, this is true for cannabis as well as any other supplement or medication is, is, you know, I mean, the two, the two questions that we really have to answer are about safety and efficacy. So from a safety perspective, you know, we want to make sure that the product that somebody is buying and subsequently giving to their pet is, is made properly, uh, is, is accurately labeled so that they can dose it appropriately. And that really, that really comes down to choosing a product and choosing a company that that is is acting responsibly. Uh, and as you probably know better than most, uh, you know there's so many players in the in the hemp CBD market right now, just because there's so much money out there um, that you wind up with people that are making products uh, then and really they're only interested in making money. Uh, so. So the suggestion that I give to people, you know, number one is, you know, you know, buy a reputable brand. Uh, you know, there are certainly avenues that people can take to kind of to kind of look up, you know, sort of which brands have been around for a while, which brands have good reputations. The other thing that I always recommend is that whenever people are looking at a product to buy, that they ask for a certificate of analysis or a COA. Uh, so a COA, as you know, is is a laboratory analysis that tells you exactly what is and what isn't in that product. So how much CBD is in it? How much THC? Uh, are there terpenes in it? But but equally as important to that is, are there residual pesticides? Uh, is there bacterial or fungal contamination? All of these things should be looked at. Uh, and that's really something that people you know, people need to do their homework in this regards. You know, the thing about nutritional supplements, whether it's CBD or anything else, is that there really is no government oversight here. Nobody's paying attention to what these people put on the labels. It's kind of an honor system sort of thing. So it's really up to us as the consumer uh, to make sure that, uh, that, that they're buying uh, a, a safe product. Now, on the, the flip side of that coin, as it pertains to efficacy, you know, then I think it just becomes a question of how much CBD are you giving? Uh, you know, if there's a terpene spectrum present, does that favor the condition that that we're looking to treat? Um, and one just kind of practical matter uh, that I often will suggest that people do is, is you know, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of products out there where they'll have like a small dog or a cat formula and then a medium dog and a large dog formula. I often suggest that people actually buy a formula that is one size up uh, from from what their pet's actual size is. And the reason for that is because it, it allows you to give a, a, a smaller volume of, of liquid, of oil. And that's particularly helpful, I think, when you're talking about cats, because, you know, medicating cats, as you say, is not, it's not an easy thing to do on the best day. Um, so the smaller volume of liquid that you can get away with, it just as a practical matter, it seems like it works better. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. I agree with that. Also, I have found by from working in the industry that there's a tendency for companies to put a 
uh, maybe a, a lower, you know, if they make a suggested administration or do, you know, serving size, you know, dosing, that they would um, give a slightly lower than what might really be truly efficacious, um, so that when the consumer is trying to compute how long this bot, this expensive bottle is going to last for their for their pet, they can estimate they estimate a bit longer than it might actually be if you're giving the dosage for you know and uh, giving an efficacious dosage. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a very true statement, and 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 certainly true if somebody's trying to achieve those two milligram per kilogram twice a day doses. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you know, everybody it, CBD products are not cheap. Uh, you know, across the board, uh, and when you're starting to talk about those higher dosages, it can get it can get quite expensive. So yeah, you're right. People do the math mm-hmm. and say, oh, this bottle will last me a month. This bottle will last me two weeks. They're going to buy the month one, but at the end of the day, it's really a question of milligrams. And I'd like to comment that, um, you know, when it comes to the lack of regulation for CBD products, um, one um, trade group, the National Animal Supplement Council, you know, has been working hard to to set up a, 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 a kind of a self-policing regulatory environment where, um, you know, they where their labeling um, and their analyses are all being double checked. So um, I've been recommending that people, you know, look for bottles that contain the seal for the National Animal Supplement Council, which indicates that they've been through a, a vetting process, that the company uses a, um, a, a CGMP um, manufacturing facility, that the label claims um, are substantiated by, um, by third-party testing that sort of stuff, but there's there's only you know 200, 300 companies that are members of the NASC, and there's far more companies than that that are manufacturing CBD products. But it's um, it's a I do think that's excellent advice, though. Um, NASC is a great organization, and they really, you know, I mean, while certainly there are good products out there that do not have the NASC seal on them, you 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 can always be assured that if they do have that seal on there, that you're you're buying a quality product. Exactly. Exactly. You're listening to Vet Talk with Dr. Rob Silver, sponsored by Arbs Vitamins for Pets. I am Dr. Rob Silver, and I'm talking to Dr. Gary Richter. And one of the points of today's conversation is to is really to tap into Dr. Richter's vast um, vast amount of experience. You know, using um, veterinary cannabis in a practice setting. You know, especially for those veterinarians who are just getting their feet wet and trying to figure out how do we navigate these regulatory issues? What do we do about dosing? You know, we're being told this by one company and this by another company. So it's good to have some substantiation from you, Gary, um, about what has been working for you in your very successful practice there in the Bay Area. You know, I want to thank you today for your time. I know you're kind of on your lunch break between patients. You know, I think this is probably sufficient. We could probably go on forever. Um, but uh, I'm sure we could. We, we've done well. So, um, is there anything that you would like to say in conclusion? Anything that I've missed as far as asking uh, of you in terms of you know your credentials, your experiences, something that you think is very important to impart to our listening audience today? You know, I think I, I think the one thing that I would say, and 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 this is this is the case for both veterinary professionals and for pet owners is that the best thing you can do as it pertains to cannabis is, is be informed, uh, you know, educate yourself about, about what's out there. As I, as I mentioned before, cannabis is not a one dimensional thing. Um, there are so many compounds within cannabis 
that uh, you know that, that that there's endless permutations of the of the potential applications here, and the more you understand, the easier it's going to be to choose a product, to choose an appropriate dose, uh, and I would certainly encourage any veterinary professionals out there um, to educate yourselves so you can then in turn educate your clients. That's excellent advice, Gary. Thank you so much. And that's one reason I think why both you and I are actively engaged in educating our veterinary colleagues, um, because with a higher level of understanding, we'll have a higher level of, um, of efficacy and a lower level of adverse events. So. This, this concludes today's Vet Talk with, uh, with Dr. Silver. I am Dr. Silver, and I want to thank you for listening and encourage you to join us for future shows by hitting the subscribe button um, so you won't miss a thing. Until next time, this is Vet Talk with Dr. Silver and Dr. Gary Richter. Bye. Vet Talk with Dr. Silver has been sponsored by RX Vitamins for Pets. You can learn more by visiting rxvitamins.com or give them a call at 1-800-792-2222.